Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. did we escape a fifth plane attack? Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol Lieberman, your terrorist therapist. And yes, 9-11, did we escape a fifth plane attack? That's what I said, a fifth plane. Um, Perhaps you are aware that there was a recent documentary that aired It was uh, created by TMZ, and it aired on Fox, um, the Fox 11, the local affiliate in California. I'm not sure where else it aired, but you can find it on Hulu um, and probably other places on the internet. And it was called TMZ Investigates 9-11, The Fifth Plane. Now, I'm going to tell you some uh, really interesting things about this, Um, and hopefully you will want to watch it and um, you'll be able to find it online. Um, The point of this is that, um, well, first of all, it it brings out some really interesting mysteries, and um, it shows that there are still mysteries about 9-11. Not everything is known. There are still lots of things to investigate and still lots of things that are being investigated. Um, The point of my talking about it today is not that America had anything to do with perpetrating 9-11. I know there are some conspiracy theories about that, but that's all they are is conspiracy theories. Um, What it does show, however, this fifth plane, the good possibility that there was a fifth plane, in other words, uh, a fifth plane that was intended to be hijacked by terrorists and to crash into things or um, drop bombs or uh, create havoc and death uh, in other places in America on that day, on 9-11-2001. And so what does that mean? Why, why should we care about that? Um, well, <laughs> because it shows that the terrorists had planned uh, to do more. In fact, there has, it's been suggested there have, that there were up to 10 planes that really were intended to be hijacked and to attack. Um, it also is an interesting, um, there's also an interesting aspect that like in California where I'm living now, although as you know, or as I've said many times before, I was originally born and bred in New York City, which is why 9-11 really struck home with me and why I became the terrorist therapist. And um, because even though I live in California right now, my heart is still in New York. So, um, but people in California are less uh, what traumatized or less um, terrified by what happened on 9-11 than people in New York or people in DC because they got to experience it up close and personal. Now, um, so, you know, this kind of tells people who don't live in New York or DC or who didn't on 9-11 that really it's not just about uh, terrorists wanting it to attack New York and DC they really have much larger intentions and these intentions have not gone away. Now in this documentary, which was really amazing, really well done, there were, they interviewed um, people who were on this flight 23, United Airlines flight 23. And that is what was thought to be, have been the the fifth plane that terrorists um, were planning to hijack. Um, so they interviewed on this on this um, documentary people, the crew of Flight 23, 
And this included um, two flight attendants, Sandy Thorngren and Barbara Brock. Um, one pilot, no, two, well, a pilot and a co-pilot. The pilot's name is Tom Minello. Um, the co-pilot was Carol Timmons and um, also a purser. The purser is a head flight attendant and her name was Deborah, but she did not want her face to be shown on this documentary. She contributed to it, but not uh, interviewed on camera. Okay, so that's the uh, introduction. That's the, <laughs> the basic explanation for what I'm going to tell you about. Um, and so fasten your seatbelts. <laughs> this is an exciting ride. Um, the United pilot of Flight 23, Tom Manello, told the documentary people that um, he, he had been in denial about whether his plane was really uh, intended to be involved in the attack of 9-11. He um, said he's lived in denial for years about the possibility that they targeted his plane that day, but now he's more convinced than ever that they did. And that's because um, he, when he heard his crew give the interviews about their experiences of being the crew on Flight 23, um, he he it it all came into uh, uh, it all became clear. Um, there was just too much to be able to keep denying it, and he said, um, "So this documentary is what changed his mind." And it's a story that the United flight crew hadn't discussed publicly at any time before. And so hearing the perspective of these flight attendants changed everything for the pilot. Um, he, before that, he was accepting that everything that unfolded that seemed a little strange was just coincidence. But after um, hearing you know, all of the things that the, this documentary unearthed, um, now he really does believe that he was, his plane was supposed to be was supposed to be part of the 9-11 attack. So again, the, the name of the um, documentary is called 9-11, The Fifth Plane. Um, one of the reasons also why he didn't believe that his plane was supposed to be the fifth plane was because of the feds um, seeming to not be interested. They never interviewed him other than the FBI interviewing him and the other the rest of the crew right after um, they returned. Well, I'll, I'll, I don't wanna get ahead of myself. Um, and he continued, this pilot continued to fly after 9-11, whereas the other crew uh, didn't because they were too traumatized. Now, of course, now it's clear that one of the reasons he was able to continue to fly was because he was in denial about his plane being the fifth plane. Okay, so let's look at just a little reminder and, and an orientation about, um, about the planes um, that there were on 9-11. So going chronologically, at 7.59, the first plane that was hijacked that um, took off was American Airlines Flight 11. That took off from Boston. It was headed for Los Angeles and there were five hijackers on board. This first plane crashed into the World Trade Center's North Tower at 8.46 a.m. Then at 8.14 a.m., or you know, right after the other, the first one took off at 7.59, one took, took off at 8.14. That was United Airlines Flight 175. That took off from Boston as well. And it was also headed for Los Angeles. And it also had five hijackers on board. You can see the planning of the, um, of the terrorists. Um, this second plane hit the South Tower at 9.03. 
then at nine o'clock, this United Flight 23, what we're calling the possible fifth plane, um, was on the tarmac at JFK waiting to take off to Los Angeles. And at 9.08, the New York air traffic control announced that there would be no takeoffs from the airport. So flight 23 returned to the gate because by that time they had figured out the second plane had hit the World Trade Center. Um, at 9.03, that's when the second plane crashed and they realized that this was not just an accident, a drunk pilot, but that it was an attack. And so they stopped flight 23 from uh, taking off. And then after that though, um, at 8.20, so again, before the uh, second plane hit the, the um, South Tower, the second tower, uh, an American Airlines Flight 77 took off from Dulles Airport outside of Washington, D.C., and it was headed for Los Angeles. And um, then at 8.42 a.m., United Flight 93 took off from Newark, and it was headed for San Francisco. It had four hijackers on board. Um, five hijackers were on board the third plane, the American Airlines Flight 77. Uh, but four were on the 8.42 a.m. flight, United Flight 93. Now, Flight 93 is the one, as you may remember, that um, got where the uh, passengers all revolted and um, attacked the, um, the terrorists. And uh, the plane ended up plowing into an empty field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. The passenger after the passengers brought it down, you know, risked their lives, knew that they were going to die if they um, attacked the the terrorists because there was no one left to fly the plane. Um, and but the intended target of this flight ninety three is suspected to be the White House or the Capitol. So okay, so that's how it you know it's so interesting that these planes all took off from the East Coast, you know, um, from Boston <clears throat> or from, uh, from Dulles, Washington, DC, or Newark or JFK and um, with headed towards California. Why? Because these would be the planes uh, going from farthest East to farthest West who would have the most gasoline on board and who would therefore do the most damage uh, when it hit, whatever it hit on the ground. Now, um, Sandy Thorngren, who was one of the flight attendants, um, told the filmmakers that after this, they returned to the gate on flight 23, um, the passengers disembarked and the crew were later interviewed by the FBI, quote, they wanted to take us to show us a lineup of people at the Port Authority. They got us all in a van, a windowless van. I felt like we were getting snuck into this van and driven over to the Port Authority offices where everyone, I mean, gates were locked and guarded with armored military that had machine guns or whatever rifles they were using. We were escorted to this one room with these double windows where you could see in but not out. And they asked us if we could identify any of the people that were behind that window. And then the pilot said, um, well, he, he um, there's an interesting story about, the, about box cutters that were found um, in, a, in a nearby plane. And he believes that a ground crew that was assisting the terrorists got the wrong plane um, because it was only one number away from his plane and put the uh, box cutters in there for when the hijackers would try to get into the cockpit. Um, the pilot said, you have people who clean the plane, people that load food on the plane, that have access to the plane. If somebody was in cooperation with the group, the terrorist group, they could have been put there. It wouldn't be the hardest thing in the world to get on an airplane like that. Now, there were 19 hijackers that were on board the four planes, 
And of course, they died in the attacks. But when we come back, I will tell you about six unsolved mysteries of this fifth plane uh, and 9-11. And really, uh, it will give you chills. The, the documentary gave me chills. Um, and I know, I know hearing it on a podcast isn't quite the same as seeing it. But um, when you hear these, these six unsolved mysteries, you might well get chills yourself. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where we're talking today about 9-11. Did we escape a fifth plane attack? We're talking about uh, United Flight 23 and this documentary that just aired called TMZ Investigates 9-11, The Fifth Plane. Now, as I mentioned, um, there are six unsolved mysteries in regard to this fifth plane. But before, um, before I get into those, let me tell you, um, I, I, I watched the documentary and I took notes and um, some of the interesting things were um, that, so I guess there's more than six unsolved mysteries. <laughs> Here is some extra. Um, the pilot of the plane, Tom Manello said that um, a man asked him if he had heard of a fire at the World Trade Center. And I guess he was trying to uh, know whether the pilot already knew that planes, you know, had, had hit the World Trade Center. And then the pilot heard that a plane hit the World Trade Center. But the pilot thought it was a small plane. I think we all thought that. I thought that too, that it was a, a drunk pilot or something or a pilot who didn't, couldn't, uh, didn't, couldn't um, steer the plane well. But then, and, and the pilot said, maybe this small plane, uh, the pilot was trying to, to fly a small plane between the two buildings of the World Trade Center. But then he heard that it was an airline plane, not, you know, a, a um, a business airline plane. I mean, you know, not just a private pilot, in other words. Um, and then right when United 23 was about to take off, the pilot got a message from the flight dispatcher saying, beware a cockpit intrusion. You know, you'll remember that on the real 9-11, um, the, the uh, terrorists got into the, into the cockpit and that's how they took over control of the plane. Um, and so this pilot on flight 23 put a suitcase in front of the cockpit door and he planned to use a fire extinguisher or an ax to um, attack anyone who would come in. That was good thinking. Okay, so now I'm gonna get to the these six unsolved mysteries and um, as I said, you may well get chills. Okay, so um, the first the first mystery was um, why was there a burka-clad man and another passenger sweating profusely? These are two different passengers. <laughs> there was in first class. There was a burker clad man. It was, you know, burkers, burkas are usually worn by women. Um, but the uh, a flight attendant, one or both of them were able to tell that it was a man under that burka. All you could see was, was his eyes. Um, now, let me, before I continue with that, you know, there's the reason why this is so mysterious and, and, you can get chills and so on, is because the FBI, you know, needless to say, TMZ tried to get as much information as possible for their documentary. And the FBI refused to give them more information. And they, before that, they refused to reveal to the pilot, the crew, or, or the crew either, um, whether any of the passengers had ever been traced after they departed the plane. Um, United 23, this possible fifth plane, wasn't included in the official report of the 9-11 Commission. 
And to this day, although this might change after the documentary, because there are a lot more people asking more questions, but to this day, or at least to the day that they, they aired the documentary, it was just this past week, um, they have not commented on any of these things that I'm going to tell you. So again, of the six um, unsolved mysteries, the first one was why was there a burqa clad man and another passenger sweating profusely? So now the two flight attendants, Sandy Thorngren and Barbara Rocky Smaldino, um, both say that there was a man dressed in a burqa along with three other Arabs who were seated in first class. And there was nobody else but these four people in first class, which would kind of lend one to believe or lead one to believe that the terrorists had paid for tickets, you know, had bought tickets for all of first class. Um, and only, you know, four people were there um, because there were only these four people who were connected to the terrorists. Um, and then accompanying the burqa clad man, there was a man who appeared to be a bodyguard. Then there was also a taller, well-built gentleman in a suit who was seated with a young boy about six or seven years old. So those were the four people. Now, the flight attendant uh, Thorngren said she was struck by the person in the burqa because it was, quote, very tight and you could ba barely see his eyes. I did explain to our purser, now the purser is the lead flight attendant, and that was the, the one who's named Deborah, but who didn't want to be uh, her face to be shown in the, in the documentary. Um, Thorngren said, I did explain to our purser that I thought that that wasn't a woman. I thought that was a man. It was a man. And you could tell by the size of his hands, he had hair on his hands. There was definitely a male underneath that burqa. And then the other flight attendant, Smaldino, um, corroborated these claims. And she said, I was absolutely convinced it was a man. Absolutely, there was no doubt in my mind. Then in business class, Thorngren saw another man who she thought was suspicious because he was, quote, sweating profusely, unquote, in a t-shirt. Quote, it was odd because it was eight o'clock in the morning and airplanes are cold anyway, but it was a cool morning. He wasn't jittering or anything, but I could see his face sweating. His body, his t-shirt was wet under the arms. Okay, here's the second of six suspicious unsolved mysteries. Why did a passenger insist on seeing the cockpit? Flight attendant Smaldino said she overheard the Arab who was wearing a suit talking to the purser who was Deborah, asking if the child with him could be shown the cockpit. Um, Smaldino said he asked the purser that he show his young son the cockpit and passengers were just not allowed in the cockpit anymore. Um, but then Thorngren said that she walked back into first class. When she walked back into first class, she saw the child and the man peering into the cockpit. Obviously they were not listening to the rules. Um, third mystery, why were the passengers demanding takeoff? Prior to takeoff, the purser was trying to organize fruit plates to be brought into the plane because all the other meals consisted of meat and the Arabs of course couldn't eat meat. So, um, and Thorngren said, the people in first class, they didn't wanna eat. Our purser was determined that they get food because it was going to be a long flight. However, the passengers became frustrated by this and told her that they did not need any food. They just wanted to take off. They were arguing with her that they didn't want to eat. They wanted to take off. We don't need food. We, don't, we want to take off. We don't need food. We just wanna go, is what they said. Well, you know, why would that be? <clears throat> it's because they had, uh, you know, they had the, the whole, all the attacks planned, you know, which one was going to attack which, what place when. Mystery number four, who opened the hatches after the plane was evacuated? <clears throat> um, so again, 
after the second plane hit the second tower, the flights at JFK were grounded. The airport was evacuated. Flight United 23 was turned back on the runway on the runway, and it went back to the gate. And the passengers left the plane. And then the crew went through the plane to make sure it was totally cleared because an engineer had been ordered to lock the airplane. And then about 20 minutes later, the FBI went on board and found that four hatches, this is the really spooky part, four hatches in the floor of the cabin were open. Now the hatches led down to a compartment that went to the plane's electronics. And then there's another hatch below in the floor, which allows the, the plane to be accessed from the runway. So in other words, from the runway, you can, you can pretty easily open a compartment um, and you get into, in, you can climb into it. I, I know, you know, when in the documentary, they showed this. And I must say, I was thinking uh, this is, um, terrorism for dummies, how to attack a plane. So um, I don't want to be too graphic here, but but I mean, it's out there apparently now. <clears throat> and basically there were two, two compartments, a lower one with electronics. And from that, you can climb up to the hatch, which goes into the plane itself. And of course, that would have been the plan, could have been, I'll say, the plan that you get in through the bottom and you, you, know, you stay in the electronics portion of the hatch. And then when the plane is airborne, you go into the uh, main body of the plane where the passengers are and the cockpit is and all of that. And, <clears throat> and so that could well have been their plan. Now, um, the purser, Deborah, said that she was stunned when the FBI asked her about the open hatches. She said, quote, when they told me the hatches were open, I couldn't breathe. I tried to figure out how these hatches could be opened unless there was somebody down in the electronics area and they opened it after we left the aircraft. And then the pilot Tom Manello said, um, he thought maybe somebody had been trying to get out of the aircraft without being noticed. Like someone who was on the aircraft went while it was taxiing around and was a terrorist. And um, then when they had to go back to the gate, somebody might have wanted to get out of the plane, you know, um, since he wasn't going to be needed anymore um, to attack. And, you know, he didn't want to be caught. Um, or he thought, the pilot thought, they could have been trying to get aboard to remove evidence such as weapons. Now, here's the interesting thing. Um, he said, well, the pilot said, quote, whether it be box cutters in the seats or knives or weapons, I've got no idea, but somebody could have entered the aircraft through the electronics bay and into the cabin and removed whatever evidence they wanted to and then simply left the airplane. And here is the fifth mystery. Why were box cutters found in first class in an adjacent plane? Dun, dun, dun. Um, there was a place, there were box cutters found in a plane um, whose number was one number off. There was a plane um, whose tail number was 6001 and the plane number of flight, 20, <coughs> flight 23, this potential fifth plane, um, was 6002. So the terrorist um, could have been, you know, could have made a mistake um, because these, these, not these box cutters, which were the way that the terrorists, what terrorists used to hijack the other four planes um, to, you know, get, to get into the cockpit. I mean, they killed people with the, uh, stabbed people with the box cutters. Um, and so here, here indeed, there were these box cutters in this plane 6001 uh, next to 6002, which was flight 23. Okay, so why, why were these box cutters found in first class in this adjacent plane? Um, 
Well, the pilot said if somebody was on the ground cooperating with them, with the terrorists, they just simply made a mistake and put the, put the box cutters in the wrong airplane. I believe that those box cutters were meant for my airplane, not the one next to me. It's the one thing that makes me think that there's a good chance that somebody was plotting to use our plane as a weapon of mass destruction. The sixth mystery, where did the passengers go? Um, so the crew went back to their hotel that night. They were interviewed later on by the FBI and they were taken to the lineup, as I mentioned earlier, to, to view a lineup at the Port Authority. None of them were able to identify any of the people behind the window. Um, the FBI agent didn't go into detail about um, any of the four people, you know, in first class who were the real main suspects, but the FBI, an FBI agent referred to them all as Arabs. Um, and, and the pilot said, nobody was forthcoming with what I think is a simple statement. No, these were innocent people on the flight. Forget about it. I now believe it is more likely than not that we were the fifth plane. I mean, if there wasn't anything strange about these passengers in first class, um, why didn't the FBI just, you know, give uh, reasonable explanations for these strange mysteries? So, um, I guess I'll stop here. And when we when we come back, I will tell you some more about Flight 23, some more interesting little tidbits. And um and about what has happened after that. And um and you can you can <laughs> you can talk about it with your friends and uh you know, add your thoughts to what this might have been. So stay tuned, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where we're talking today about 9-11. Did we escape a fifth plane attack? Um, I feel like there should be uh, uh, music from, um, uh, you know, do, 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 do music going through this, um, like the Twilight Zone. Uh, so to set the, the stage again, um, the United Airlines captain, Tom Manello, the captain of Flight 23, was going through his pre-flight checks in the early morning of 9-11. And while he was doing this, you know, it was a sunny day, there were no clouds, it seemed like Oh, it was going to be a wonderful day. The captain had been looking forward to this, you know, it was perfect flying weather. But as he was doing his normal pre-flight checks, um, there were passengers on four other flights leaving from Boston, Newark, and Washington, D.C., who were um, preparing to hijack the planes. In other words, there were terrorists on these four other planes who were planning and starting to um, execute hijackings that killed nearly 3,000 people, as you know, on 9-11. Um, so the question here is, was Flight 23 supposed to be another plane uh, as part that was part of the terrorist plan to be hijacked? So, um, and we're talking about the reason why I'm talking about this today is because this past week, there was a wonderful TMZ documentary that aired um, called TMZ Investigates 9-11, The Fifth Plane. And you can find it um, online, I'm sure. It might be on Hulu. It's supposed to be on Hulu. It probably is uh, on other places online as well. And I would recommend that you um, watch it. I think it was an hour. I watched the whole thing and I think it was about an hour. And um, really, really interesting. You know, this, the first person stories from the uh, crew, you know, the flight attendants and the purser and the uh, pilot and the co-pilot 
really, um, you know, telling the story from their heart and um, they were shaking while they were telling it, reliving the story. So, um, so I've told you some of the mysteries about, about this plane and why it raises the question about, uh, you know, whether it could have been the fifth plane. Um, now, one, of course, one thing that raises a lot of questions is why did neither the FBI or the US government's landmark investigation into the disaster, why did these uh, investigations never mention anything about United 23, Flight 23? So Flight 23 was due to take off around 9 a.m. from JFK, uh, as I mentioned earlier. Um, like the other planes in 9-11, it was a cross-country flight bound for Los Angeles. And as I was saying, this meant that it was fully loaded with highly flammable jet fuel. Um, the pilot said everything seemed normal. Everybody was in a good mood. Everybody was happy. It was going to be fun, a fun day, unquote. Um, but as the passengers were boarding and um, he was preparing to taxi onto the runway, there were several things that struck crew members as strange. Uh, I mentioned the Sandy Thorngren, for example, noticed, a, noticed a, pa a passenger in business class who was nervous, sweating profusely, wearing only a t-shirt. In first class, first class was really bizarre with only four people there. Um, and the purser, Deborah, got into a dispute with about food with the passengers. She was trying to, to help them, you know, um, by getting them some kind of food that they could eat because they were Arab and they couldn't eat meat. And that's what was planned on being served um, that day, which is kind of interesting since it was a breakfast flight, but in any, or well, maybe they were gonna be for lunch. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know, what the, but she was trying to be helpful, okay? And they did not want to have any of it. They just wanted to get off the ground because that was part of the plan, what well, possibly was part of the plan in terms of um, which airlines were going to be attacking what and when and where. Then you've heard about the burqa. I was talking about that. There were all these, it, these bizarre things that happened. Um, Then at 8:46 is when the first plane threw into the flew into the North Tower of the World Trade Center. Um, but the reports, if you I'm sure as you will remember on that day, um, the reports of what was happening took a while to get through and a while for people to realize it was so unbelievable. Nobody could really believe that this was an attack. It did seem at first. Um, like it was just some errant pilot who was flying in the wrong direction. So the reports of the hijackings took time to get through US air control and the military grapevine as well. So when the pilot of flight 23 heard about it, um, he heard about the, the plane flying into the into the Twin Towers, he again, he thought that it was just a small plane that accidentally crashed, quote, trying to do something stupid, unquote, such as flying between the towers. Um, but it turned out that at JFK, where United Flight 23 was supposed to be taking off, it was unusually busy. And Flight 23 was stuck in a queue behind 10 or so other planes. That's why it didn't get off. You know, when you think about it, um, I mean, if if it, if it hadn't been busy and the flight did take off, that could well have been the fifth plane. So it hadn't taken off when the second plane hit the South Tower. And United's dispatcher warned all pilots to, quote, beware cockpit intrusion, as I said. And then there was pandemonium um, when all the flights across the U.S. were grounded because of the fear of further hijackings, JFK airport was evacuated um, and uh, the pilot of flight 23 taxied back to the gate. Um, then came the incident that, the, that really alarmed the crew. Um, 
this was after, this was afterwards, after they got off, um, airport workers on the ground saw somebody running inside the plane. This was visible through the portholes. This was after all the passengers and the crew had left the plane. So nobody was supposed to be on plane. I mean, the crew had checked that there was nobody on the plane. And yet here through the portholes, you could see somebody running inside the plane. Um, now, why the authorities won't say um, anything about their investigation? Obviously, if the FBI missed information about a potential fifth aircraft, it's embarrassing. Or it could be they don't want to tell anything more because they might consider it to be a matter of national security that hasn't been cleared yet for the public. Of course, it's 20, <laughs> 21 years later. Um, wait, 20... <laughs> 22 years later, um, 2001. So yeah, I guess 22 years later. Um, and then also uh, some people might think who were studying this that, um, that Al the Al-Qaeda plot quote, does not have room for a fifth plane. And some, so some people are disputing whether this, whether there really was a fifth plane or not. Um, so we, my, so far, we do not know the truth of United 23. Um, but in any case, it was very traumatic for the crew. Uh, they talk about that in the documentary. It was really sad. The flight crews tried to get disability because they couldn't fly again. They were just too traumatized to fly again. Everybody except the pilot who did fly, but that's because he was in denial about the possibility that this could have been the fifth plane um, meant to be hijacked. So uh, the crew fought for disability. You know, they had to file a lawsuits um, because, the, because United wouldn't give them any kind of compensation or certainly not enough. Um, and the they interviewed the attorney who uh, the fight, flight attendants had, and the attorney said um, that he was told that the stress of the flight attendants was not worse than everyone else, which of course is, is not true. I mean, of course you're gonna be, um, of course flight attendants on, lots of planes uh, that weren't the ones that were uh, man commandeered by the hijackers, just flight attendants in general were traumatized, some more than others, and uh, some quit because it was just too scary. And so certainly uh, the flight attendants on a plane that, was, that had all of these mysteries um, were more traumatized than others. One Deborah, the purser, um, was told that if she took the four, four they offered $4,000 to the flight attendants that, as compensation. And she was told that if she took the $4,000, she'd be fired. I mean, that was like um, accepting being fired. And this, she had worked for United for 30 years, and this is how she was treated. So that is pretty awful. Um, the it's still a question as to where the passengers went um, from that plane. Um, it was. It is thought that the four Arabs on the plane, you know, in first class, might well have been Saudis, and that because of politics, that um, America doesn't, the FBI or other, or the uh, commission that was studying 9/11. Might not have wanted to acknowledge that they were Saudis because of you know wanting to to stay friendly or whatever, and there are all kinds of lawsuits in regard to the um, victims of the planes. Um, so let's see. Um, the um, Thorngren, um, the the flight attendant Sandy Thorngren said, quote, it's been 21 years and it still stays with me. The terrifying, horrific events and the way I was treated by a company that I was loyal to for 30 years, I decided I just, 
said I couldn't do it anymore. I retired in 2003. So, um, let's see. So the crew, um, So, so the crew thinks that these box cutters, getting back to that, were planted ahead of time by an undercover terrorist, but that they, you know, get, put it in in six plane six thousand and one instead of six thousand and two, which was flight twenty three. Um, these were box cutters were meant to be used by the hijackers, and then when the plot failed, when they were sent back to the gate, um, they are thinking that maybe the same person who had put the box cutters on the wrong plane um, was still confused and he got on flight 23 to remove the box cutters or maybe he went there flight 23 because he thought that's where the, the other person was supposed to put the box cutters, um, whatever. Um, you know, it's just, I mean, there's no proof but um, there are certainly enough things that make one wonder. Um, quote, United 23 would have become airborne right about the time the other hijacked aircraft on September 11th were airborne. And there's little doubt in my mind that um, United 23 was the fifth plane. That is what a historian said who um, studied 9-11 and the planes. Now, as you may recall, or uh, within two months, or perhaps you don't know this, within two months of the attacks, law enforcement had detained, at least for questioning, more than 1,200 people. So you kind of wonder, how come they didn't get the seven people on on flight 23. Um, then, of course, uh, Guantanamo was turned into a prison. The war on terror began. Uh, Guantanamo originally held 780 men, but now it has only 32 left. And amongst those left are Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who is the alleged mastermind of 9-11. And his trial has been scheduled to start for decades but for some unknown reason, it keeps being postponed. Osama bin Laden, of course, the Al-Qaeda leader was behind the attacks and he was killed on May 2nd, 2011 on orders from Barack Obama. Um, his place was raided by special, a special operations unit and this was in Pakistan and he was killed. So um, the uh, and of course, we know that the, the Taliban was toppled in a month after 9-11. And bin Laden fled from Afghanistan uh, to Pakistan. But, um, you know, of course, you know the sad story that the, uh, the departure from Afghanistan was, um, was a mess. And certainly, um, Certainly not a tribute to all the soldiers who volunteered. You know, as you know, after 9-11, lots of people were feeling incredibly patriotic. They wanted to protect America. They joined the military, all the different divisions, and, um, and many were killed, many had um, were injured. And um, when Biden removed, um, the remaining troops and got out of Afghanistan in the way that he did, the sloppy, messy um, way that he did, you know, all of the troops who, and all of the families of the troops uh, were devastated and are still devastated to this day, which is why now that, that withdrawal, that botched withdrawal from Afghanistan is what has caused today all of our enemies to feel empowered because they see what Biden did in Afghanistan, how it was handled, and um, that has to do with his dementia, his encroaching dementia that I talk about. Um, and so all of our enemies are now becoming much more aggressive. Putin 
invaded Ukraine. China is rattling its sabers. Um, North Korea is doing more testing of nuclear weapons. Iran is being Iran and even more so. Um, so we have a lot of countries, enemies who are have risen up since then because they see that that we have a president who doesn't know what he's doing, basically. And um, that, that the United, they see the US as weak. And we are more in danger today from a 9-11 than we were on 9-11. And if you'd like to hear uh, more about why we're more in danger, some more information about that, just look at a, my previous podcast that I did around the time of 9-11. And I talk about 10 reasons why we're more in danger now. Well, thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I hope I've given you some food for thought. There are no uh, foolproof answers, but certainly lots of questions. So thank you for listening. And um, I'm your terrorist therapist, Dr. Kara Lieberman. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carroll, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.